Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. We're going to have our Bible reading now. We're picking it up in Romans chapter 8. Reading from verse 18. If you've got your Bible there, or it'll be on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all, who hopes for what they already have. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Good morning. It's so good to be here. My name's Ben, if we have never met before. Uh, I should just say something else that's going on this weekend is that our youth are at a youth camp. So if you're noticing some teenagers aren't here, it's because Rosie and her team are out having a great time uh, together, Southside Youth at Mugra, which is slowly filling up with all the rain, which is good. Hey, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into this passage. Let's do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that it is to still be able to gather this morning, to be present in this room. We pray, Lord, that as we open up your word, as we finish up this series in Romans, that you would speak to us and shape us and change us. Um, We pray that for those of us this morning that need comforting, that you would be that comfort. For those of us who need challenging, that you would challenge us. And for those that need encouraging, that you would encourage us. We pray, Lord, that as we gather today and open up your word, that we would walk out different people because we've met with the living God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the last 12 months, there have been a couple of companies that have benefited from a global lockdown, and one of those is Netflix. In fact, this time last year, they went up in subscriptions by 16 million subscriptions pretty much overnight, which was up from their previous 5 million per quarter. Now, the reason, obviously, is because people were bored at home, but another reason I think that people turn to Netflix and other streaming services is because streaming services provide us with an amazing escape. We love to escape into a made-up world to escape from our pain and hurt, the things that you know, we're struggling with in day-to-day life. Now, what I was interested in when I was reading this article about Netflix was what people were escaping to. And so in the last 12 months, I've got the top TV show and the top movie that people were tuning in on in the last 12 months. Now, inwardly, I don't know if you could have a guess, but here was the top TV show. Of course, it is the American version of The Office. This was on people's screens in America alone for 59 billion minutes. That is over 100,000 years. 
This was on people's screens last year in America as they escaped, not just from the pandemic, but also probably from their bad bosses as they enjoyed Michael Scott and all of the other guys there for nine seasons. The most watched movie, this one got me a little bit. Uh, I haven't personally watched it. Maybe you've spent some time watching it. It is The Secret Life of Pets 2, which is weird. But sequels, you know, I mean, usually they're not very good, but obviously this one is getting a little bit of game time in people's houses. Nine billion minutes this was on people's screens for. Now, this did strike me. Obviously, there were other things in the top ten lists of this. You know, people were watching The Queen's Gambit. Lots of people tuning into The Crown as well and other shows as well. And, and Netflix does, it does provide us with an amazing escape. Now, I'm not saying that it's not good for us sometimes to watch shows like this. You know, in fact, I think sometimes it is actually beneficial to us to have a laugh and to escape for a little while, to enjoy another world. But there is a problem if we're using streaming services as an escape. And the problem is, after 20 minutes, or 120 minutes, or nine seasons, it finishes. And when these shows, finishes, uh, when these shows finish, we're still left with the pain and the problems that we had in the first place. Streaming services are helpful, but they're inadequate to properly deal with the problems that we face in day-to-day -day life. And so it raises the question, if Netflix can't do it for us, where can we turn to actually find help to live day-to-day? -day? Where can we turn to find a proper comfort for us who are living in a world that is marked by suffering and stress and pain and exhaustion? Where can we go with all of this to face our day-to-day -day lives? What we're going to see as we open up this passage in Romans 8, it is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, and it's one of the most well-known as well, but we're going to see four things in this passage that help us to face the problems that we have in our lives. Four things that kind of soothe and comfort weary hearts. And so I can't wait to get into this passage, but we see the first comfort that Paul gives us in the opening verse here, in verse 8, that really captures all of what read, Ross read out for us before, where it says this, the first comfort is this, he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. How do we face the world that we need to face? Well, the first thing that he says is there is a hope of future glory. The first hope that we have, the first comfort that we have is the reality that there is something better waiting for us a future hope, a future glory where all things will be made right and where we will get to be with God forever, where we'll be able to be home. This is the hope that we have, it's future glory. And he's saying in this section, you can see it in the opening verse and the last verse there, it's all about the hope that we have, the future hope of future glory. And essentially he's saying it's going to be better. Now it's a good thing that it's going to be better, that our future hope will be better, because when we look around we recognize that there's some problems with our current situation. Now, Paul touches on this as well in this section here. And the problems rely, or, or the problems are to do with creation and then with us. So first of all, creation. He says it groans. Creation groans. Now, now we know this. When we look around, just look around for five minutes and you'll see this, that creation is groaning, flooding in the last week. You know, in the not-too-distant past, our whole country was on fire. We are in a global pandemic still and maybe in lockdown soon, we know that creation groans. We know that. But notice here what Paul says, the reason why creation groans. It's not simply because of our mistreatment of the world. 
right? Our culture will tell you that creation groans because we've mistreated it, because of climate change. Now listen, if you know me, I think we need to do better. I think we need to care for our world a little bit better. But even if we sort it out, creation will still be under the weight of something else. In fact, Paul tells us what it's under the weight of there. It says it's subject to futility. It's in a bondage to decay. And the reason is, is because in the very beginning of the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't just death that was brought in, creation suffered as well. God declared to creation that it was now under the bondage of decay. And so we know when we look around, our world groans, creation groans. But then it's not just creation, it's us as well. We feel the sting of this. Now, most of us know this, but some of us today might not know this, right? You might be younger, feel like you are, you know, unbreakable. Maybe you're in your teens or maybe you're in your 20s and you feel like nothing will ever come bad for you. But let me tell you, one day you will wake up sore for no reason. You just will, right? We're all decaying. You know, no joke. No joke. On my, the day after my 30th birthday, I woke up with a sore ankle. Just like from sleeping. This is my life now. But this is what happens for all of us. And if we're over the age of 30 or 40, whatever age makes you feel comfortable, we know this. Our eyesight fades, our hearing fades, our mind fades, everything fades until we die. But it's not just our bodies that feel the sting of decay, is it? I mean, we, we feel the sting of a broken relationship with God. We don't experience the intimacy with God, the beauty of that relationship face to face, like once Adam and Eve did in the beginning. We know that we are broken. But Paul doesn't say it's without hope. He says there is a hope. And what is that hope? Well, it's future glory. It's the redemption of our bodies. It's when we'll get to be with God face to face again and he's going to make everything right. Now, it is worth here noting what he's saying and what he's not saying. He's not saying here that heaven is around the corner. You know, like when we look at advertising today, the message from advertising and from our world is, and it makes sense, they're trying to sell us stuff, but the message is that you can get heaven now. You know, if you just get that right beauty cream, you won't age. If you just get the right relationship, you will be happy. If you get the right job, everything. Advertising tells us heaven is around the corner. The issue, like that's, that's what the world, they're trying to sell us stuff. So you can put that aside. The problem is though, Christians have bought into that. Heaven on earth idea. And, and for some people in some churches, they'll sell you this idea that if you can just believe in God, then you can get health, wealth, and prosperity. It's called the prosperity gospel. And it's no good news at all. Gospel means good news. It is no good news. But what they're selling you, and you often see this on TV, is just give us some money and your bank account will be filled. You can be healthy. You can be wealthy. You can have your best life here and now. Even over the last 12 months, some people said, give money and you won't get COVID. But it's a lie. It's not true. And it's not biblical in any sense at all. No, throughout the Bible, we, we see that the future hope that we have is future glory. Now, where they've gone wrong is they've understood the now but not yet idea. Now, this is kind of a helpful way, I think, to understand what we're talking about here. It's now but not yet. So we have something now. We do. We saw this last week. It, it began, chapter 8, verse 1 began, there is now no condemnation in Christ. So there's something we have now, right? We are now children of God. We have now this relationship with our Father. There is now no condemnation. So there's something we have now. But there's something that's not yet. 
right? There's a reality that it's not yet. This is future glory. We don't yet see the Father face to face. We still feel the sting of a broken world and broken relationships. It's now, but it's, it's not yet. So he's not saying heaven's around the corner. He's pointing to a future glory, a future hope for us. And this future hope's going to be really good. In fact, he, calls it, he, he speaks about it there. It's the redemption of our body where creation will be fixed and where we will be made right. And so we can hope for this, where creation's going to be made right, where our world's no longer going to groan, no more flooding, no more fires, no more pandemics. Our bodies are going to be made right. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more fading, no more sore ankles for no reason. But more than that, our relationship with God's going to be made right. We'll get to be in His presence, face to face, in the beauty of that forever. And so the first comfort for us in a world that's difficult and hard is that there's something better. It's future glory. In fact, he says, I consider that our present suffering won't even be worth comparing. One day we won't even consider that what we're going through right now is, it will be a blip. It'll be a glimpse of, compared to what we have. So the first comfort for us is future glory. Now, I wonder as we consider this and think about this, I wonder how often it is that you think about the future glory. I wonder how often you think about heaven. You know, how, how much in your life day to day do you consider the future hope that we're given in Jesus? You know, because I've got to be honest, for me, I think sometimes I just get caught up with what's going on day to day. I think I get caught up in the busyness of my life and, and what's presently going on for me that I forget the future. Or when I am thinking about the future... All I'm thinking about is what's next week or the holidays coming up. But I think we miss something if we're not considering what he's speaking about here. I think we're losing something if we're not considering the future glory. And more than that, I think when you look at Jesus, this is what he did. You know, we see how, you know, you ask the question, how did Jesus get through the suffering he went through? We're told in Hebrews, it's because he considered the future glory. What was ahead of him? He knew what was coming and that's what helped him through his present suffering. We too need to consider think more about our future hope where we'll get to be with the Father forever. The first comfort for weary, tired, stressed, suffering people is that there's future glory. There's something better waiting for us. The second comfort, though, as we keep reading, is that we have a helper, the Holy Spirit. We see this as we keep reading from verse 26. It says this, "...in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness." We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The first comfort for us is that there is a future hope of future glory. The, the second is that we have God, the Holy Spirit, with us, helping us, praying for us. Now, how much do we need to remember that we have someone with us? You know, it's in moments of weakness that I often consider and think about the fact that I'm all alone. And I, and I don't think I'm alone in that thought, but it's often when under pressure, when we're faced with our inadequacies or we're faced with a really difficult situation, we say these words, no one understands what I'm going through. I'm all alone in this. No one cares for me. Or we feel the sting of the fact that we thought other people should have checked in on us and they didn't, and we feel all alone. Weakness tends to do that. It tends to make us feel alone. And that's, that's a normal feeling. But what he's saying here is that we're never actually alone. 
Even if physically and emotionally alone, we're alone spiritually, we're never alone because the Holy Spirit is always there with us. And more than that, he's not just there with us, he's interceding for us, he's praying for us. Now this is, this has, this week, really impacted me a lot, just to consider this idea that the Holy Spirit is praying for us in moments of weakness. You know, when I think back over the last 10 years of my life, one of the most encouraging moments for me consistently has been uh, when people have been praying for me. And here at Southside, we heard Selena talking about growth groups before, but for me at Southside, it's been that consistently as well in growth groups and had the privilege over, over kind of 10 years or so to meet with different guys and, and share our weaknesses and struggles and then to pray for each other. And consistently in those times, that's been a moment of encouragement for me. Because when people pray for you, you don't feel alone. But you also feel like this beautiful sense that God's got this and God's in control and it's this reminder of this. And, and over the last 10 years, it's been such an encouragement for me to have that. And if you're not in a growth group, we'd love to help you out with that because you're missing something there. Something beautiful in just having people pray for you. But this is saying that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. That in moments of weakness... The Holy Spirit, it's kind of like he's in another room praying for you, right? So when we're feeling under pressure, when we're feeling the weight of life, when we're feeling all alone, not only do we have the Holy Spirit with us, but he's interceding for us. The one who knows our heart and the will of God is praying for us. This is such a beautiful truth. It's so amazing to consider this. And so this is one of those things that we've we got to consider. We've got to think through because this is a comfort that we're giving. And so I wonder, how is it that we can consider this? How is it in moments of weakness can we remind ourselves that the Spirit is there with us and praying for us? You know, I think for me as I consider this, I think maybe it's when I tell myself I'm all alone that I need to attach that. I need to preach to myself in that moment. Remind my soul I'm not alone. I need to remind myself in moments of weakness that right now the Spirit is praying for me. I wonder if we need to work harder at, at just reminding ourselves of truth. You know, maybe it's putting reminders on our phones when we wake up each morning, the Holy Spirit's with you. Maybe it's, it's reminders in moments of weakness we've got to give to each other. Maybe we just need to encourage each other a little bit more. You know, when we hear people are struggling, instead of just praying for them or saying that we'll pray for them, pray for them, but also remind them that the Holy Spirit's there with them, praying for them. It's such a comfort to know that we're not alone. And it's the second comfort that we get in this passage. We're not alone, the Spirit's with us, and He's praying for us. So number one, how do we do this? How do we face the world that we've got to face? Number one, there's future glory. Number two, there's a helper with us. Number three is we keep reading. Verse 28, we see that God's working for good in all situations. Notice this, he says this. And we know, in verse 28, we know that in all things God works for the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What's the third comfort for us? It's that in every situation, God works for our good. God is not doing nothing. God is doing something, and he's working for our good. Now, just to note there, God, the, Paul does talk about the relationship that we have with God. So he speaks about those who love God. And then he goes into that and he speaks about those whom God foreknew and predestined and called and justified and glorified. Now, we'll talk more about this next term. Because when we kick off Romans in term 
2, we will be looking at Romans 9, where Paul goes into this in more detail. But in the meantime, what we see in this passage is Paul is reflecting on the relationship, the security that we have with the relationship with God. And essentially, he's saying God did it all. To get us into the family of God, it was God's work. He got us in there. And if God got us into the family of God, then there's something beautiful in this. There's security in this and assurance in this because I can't stuff this up. I can't get myself out of this. I can rest in this. And more than that, I can enjoy the love that God has for me and love him in return. That's kind of the idea that he's speaking about here. Now, it's kind of like this. When I think about how we understand this, because I know our temptation is to get caught up into questioning the mind of God in this moment. But I think about it like this. I think about it um, in a family. Right? So if you, you picture a father or a mother showing love to their child. So for me, you know, my dad always used to take me to Hungry Jack's. I don't, it's the, I don't know why, but this is, you ask me how I know my dad loved me growing up, it's Hungry Jack's. It's just, that's just it. But when a parent shows their kid love, the kid's reaction in that moment isn't to go, you know, kids don't go, Dad, why did you show me love? Or why do you work the way that you work? No, the kids in that moment just enjoy the fact that their father loves them. And in return, they love them back. And I think that's kind of the the picture that we're given here. This idea of how God works, it's attached to adoption. It's attached to the fact that we're brought into the family of God. And so I don't think it's all that helpful to get caught up completely with how or why God works, but simply to enjoy that he's giving us the invitation to know his love and the security and the assurance of this love, and in return to love him back. Now, we'll reflect more about this in the fourth point, of how good it is to know the assurance and the security of God, but here the comfort for us is that God works for our good. He works in any and every situation for the good of those who love him, which means this, in good moments, God is working for our good. So God is shaping us. Now, it's the question, what is the good there? Well, he says it's conformed to the image of the Son, The good is to be more like Jesus. So in good moments, God is shaping us, helping us to be generous, compassionate, kind, selfless, sacrificial in good moments, but this is also true in bad moments, in difficult moments of life. When we're under pressure, in those moments where we think nothing good is coming out of this, God is doing something good in that. He is shaping us to be more like Jesus. Now, I don't know if when you consider the difficult moments in your past, if you can see how this unfolds. But for me, I know that this is true as I consider the moments of difficulty in in my past. You know, I've talked about this before, but the moment God shaped me the most to be selflessly loving was when we got married. And for the first two years of our marriage, thought, you know, this would be the easiest thing ever. And then we fought for two years nonstop. And it was so hard. But God was teaching me to be selfless. And I'm not perfect. You just ask Elizabeth. I'm not there yet, but it was under pressure that now as I look back, I can see that God was actually shaping me to be more like Jesus. In moments where I thought, there is nothing good in this. Where is God, I thought. But now as I look back, I can see that he was shaping me to be more like Jesus. In the last few months, you know, this is true for us as well. I... I have been praying for years that God would would help me to be gentle. But it's not until the last four months of under pressure, sleepless nights and a crying baby that you actually have to practice gentleness in difficult moments. 
And in the last four months, I feel like I've grown more in this than in the previous 30 years of my life. Under pressure, that's often where God teaches us the most. You know, you don't learn patience when you have everything. There's often things that we need to learn under pressure. And this is what he's saying here. He's saying in every situation, God is working for our good. Now, let's be clear here. He is not saying in this passage that we're to call bad things good. He's not saying we're to call sin good. He's not saying if you're in situations of abuse or evil which is crushing you that you just have to stick in that just because. Nor is he saying that we're to seek that out because that's where God works. And, and if that's you, I mean, we'd love to talk to you about that and, and wrestle with that and see what it means for you. But, but what this does mean is that even in those situations, in every situation, there is still good that God is working. He's still in control and he's still shaping us to be more like Jesus. Now, this is such a comfort for us again because it's often in moments of pressure that we just think there is nothing good here. But God is doing something good in us and through us to make us more like Jesus. Now, again, what do we have to do to remember this in moments of difficulty? You know, what do we have to do in moments under pressure to remind ourselves that God is working for our good? I think for me, as I think about this, when I am under pressure, I often just think there's nothing good here. But maybe I need to change my attitude and, and start to ask God, what are you doing in me and through me in this moment? You know, what, how are you shaping me to be more like Jesus? You know, it, we're not told that we need to stop praying that it, the situation would go away. We see that in the Psalms. That, that happens over and over again. They cry out to God, like, take this away from us. But maybe it's just a mind shift for us. We begin to consider, what are you doing, God, in me and through, the, through me? Knowing that in good and in bad, God works for our good. So number one, future glory. That's our comfort. We know there's something better. Number two, we have the Holy Spirit with us, praying for us. Number three, God is working for our good in any and every situation. And then finally, we see the final comfort. It's God's love. And it's that nothing can separate us from God's love. So enjoy these words from verse 31, because this is so beautiful and so encouraging. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life and is the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So just side point there, it's not just the Spirit who's interceding for us. The Son is doing that as well. God is for us. Verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The final comfort for us in this passage is that there is nothing 
that will separate us from God's love. You know, in our life, we often feel the sting of separation. Suffering is separation. You know, when we're sick, we have to separate ourselves at home. When we face death, it's the pain of separation. In relationships, whether it's fights or bigger than that, it's separation emotionally. Separation is hard. And, and in life, we always feel separation, and we will always feel separation. But when it comes to us and God, there is nothing that will separate us from His love. Nothing. It doesn't matter what happens. Nothing will separate us from His love. And to prove this, Paul goes, look back. Look back. Look back to the cross. Look back to the moment in history where Jesus entered in and laid His life down so that in the courtroom of God, you could be justified, declared right. Look back to the moment of the cross where Jesus died to take your place so that you could be invited into the family of God, so that you could come home not as a slave, not as someone who would work harder, but as a child. Look back to the cross where Jesus died and then the empty tomb where he rose again and now sits in glory. Because as we look back to this moment in history, we see historically we see God's love on display for us. So here's what this means. Your suffering is not a sign of the absence of God's love. Your sickness is not a sign of the absence of God's love. Your anxiety, your fears, your mental health struggles, it's not a sign of the absence of God's love. The situation that you find yourself in, the pain that you find yourself in, the problems day in, day out that just seem to build up, the stress, the exhaustion, it's not a sign of God's love. The pain that we face, it's a sign of a world under the sting of sin. But the cross is the sign of God's love. The cross is the sign of God's love. See, we will always face suffering. But the cross shows us that even in the middle of it, whatever comes for us, God still loves us. And there's nothing that can separate us from that love. See why this is such a beautiful comfort to us? It's because there's a future glory. There's something better waiting for us. The Spirit's here with us, praying for us. There is good being produced right now in us. And even in the middle of it all, God still loves us. And as we see this and experience this passage, this is how we can be comforted. But more than that, it's not just comfort for weary souls. It's the tools that we need to face what we need to face. You see, I'm struck by the fact that Paul here is writing to a Roman church. You know, he's writing to real people 2,000 years ago who lived in a pretty difficult time. And when he's talking about some of the stuff that he's talking about, you know, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or the sword. This is not hypothetical. This is real stuff that they're facing. You know, this is not just an image of suffering. This is what they're suffering. They knew the sword. They knew rulers that ruled in great power and hostility. You know, we, we read in the, uh, our growth group booklets at the beginning that earlier, like five years earlier, the Jews were kicked out of Rome and then they're brought back in. They knew what it meant to be kicked out of home. We know that in a not-too-distant future for these people that Nero would rule the worst of the lot and burn Christians at stake. 
at the stake. This, this is what happened for them. They, they knew this. And yet for them, this is the encouragement to face the pain that they need to face. And for us, it's not just comfort for weary souls. It's also the help that we need to face what we need to face. You see, psychologists often say that you, when it comes to difficulty, you can flee it or you can fake it. And that's true for us too, right? We can flee our suffering. We can watch Netflix. We can scroll on our phone to forget what's going on around us. We can distract ourselves. We can flee our suffering, but we can also flee what might come for us if we properly lived out our faith. You know, like if we were bold with our faith, fearless with our faith, if we were giving generously that it hurt, if we were constantly pushing into who Jesus has called us to, as Selena said, living a crazy love, we can flee that. We can flee what God calls us to, the, the life of picking up our cross and following Jesus. We can also fake it. We can fake our suffering, pretend that it's all right, pretend that everything's good for us. But faking it doesn't help us and it doesn't help anyone else. And social media might pretend, it might make it look like everyone's all right and all good, but it's not. We can also fake it here at church, fake our faith, never actually go deeper. But fleeing and faking is not helpful. We need to face what we need to face. But God does not say face your difficulty alone. He says face it knowing there's future hope, knowing that God's with you and praying for you, knowing that there's good being produced in you and knowing that whatever comes for you, that there will be nothing that separates you from God's love. As he says in these verses, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death, depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's face what we've got to face, knowing this truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you don't leave us alone. We're so grateful for the hope that we have, that we have been given in Jesus. Lord, we're thankful that you don't leave us as exiles or leave us out in the dark, but you invite us to come back home and you invite us into the beauty of your love. We pray, Father, that you'd give us the grace and the help in moments of difficulty to face what we need to face, knowing this truth. Father, please help us in this. Whatever comes for us today or this week or for the rest of our lives, to know that there is nothing that will separate us from your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.